Today we're going to discuss what? Today we're going to discuss. That is so nice. There's no reason. From Shabbos, it's from Shabbos. No, but you don't always bring that. Not always. Today we're going to discuss uh, the topic of the shir that I, I advertised was: Were the daughters of Tzlachad feminists? I don't know if you saw that. So it all depends on the question: Is what what is a feminist? We're going to run and we'll read the story. So I, of course, looked in Wikipedia, which is you know where you get all your inform- where people get all their information nowadays, which said that feminism is an intellectual, philosophical, and political discourse aimed at equal rights and legal protection for women. Sounds good, right? Equal rights and legal protection for women. And women should have rights. Although, uh, it's not necessarily true because feminism takes on a much broader perspective than just equal rights and legal protections. You know, you get into abortion, you get into equality, you get into are we the same, etc., etc. And uh, we'll have to we'll, we'll, remember this, this, this question when we come to what, what the daughters of Slavcha did, what they asked for, and, uh, and uh, you know, how their request was perceived, uh, as we'll see in the Chumash. So if you want to break open a Chumash, we're on Bamidbar, chapter uh, 27, Perak Chaf Zayin. And we're going to have to share a little bit. Okay, I'll figure it out. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna actually start, okay, from the two psukim, before chav zayin. Let's go back to chav vav. Let's say samakimo. Um, yes, good choice. Samakimo. Says the Torah. Enet kudei Moshe ve'Elazar hakohen. Much of Pinchas is counting. So these are the countings of Moshe and Elazar. Asher paktu b'nei Yisrael be'arvot Moab al Yerdeni Recho. They counted the Jewish people be'arvot Moab, right, in the plains of Moab on the Jordan River. So let's just get a sense. Where are they? They're on the Yerdeni Recho and Arvot Moab. What are they? What are they ready to do? Poised to do? Right. They're ready to cross over. I mean, really, the, historically, the story of the b'nei Yisrael in the Midbar is pretty much over. Right now, it's already over. And then you, know, you don't realize that historically the rest of the Torah, Pinchas, Matot, Masai, and all of Sefer Dvarim. What? Bloodbath. I didn't hear you say. I said bloodbath. No, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean it's all in Yoshua. Right, is, is, is chronologically, it's all done. You know, it, Moshe goes over this stuff and he tells them all of Sefer Dvarim. So we spent a lot of time on it, but chronologically, it's already, it's already mm-hmm. over. So th- this is where they are. And in these, no person was counted from Moshe and Aaron and Kohen that were counted, that counted B'nai Israel in Midbar Sinai. What in the world is that is going on there? How does he translate that, Mr. Uh, whatever? I don't know who that is, Rabbi uh, Hertz? No, that's not Hertz. Silverman, or I don't know. Sensino, Rabbi Sensino. How does he translate that? Okay. But among these, there was not a man of those that were numbered by Moshe and Aaron the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. That's a lot of numbers. What, what in the world did that just say? That all those people who were counted before had always been done. Ele lo haya. Oh, interesting. I think you're right. Let's try to get the words. Ele lo haya ish mipkudei. Moshe, ah, Moshe, Aaron, Asher, Pakdu, Ed Bnei Yisrael, Bnei Sinai. Correct. 
In this count, the, the, of all the people that were counted in this count, no one was also counted in the original count. But Moshe and I weren't counted. They were in Levi. Right, they weren't counted either one. And Aaron's dead. Let's say they did a count. So they didn't count under, like the children? Like under no, right. They did not count. So anyone from 20 to 60... Anybody from 0 to 20 is now 20 to 40. Is now, uh, 40, is now 40 to 60, 60, right. And there's either the 0 to 20 who's... And then the, everybody else is... The count is remarkably similar. It's still the same 600,000, 600, 600 3,000. There's, there's a lot of discussion about it. A lot of... How, how, how did it get so close? All those people die and all those people were born. And we have how did it get so close? To, right, it's really... All it's, the accountants spend a lot of time. Do they really? That's like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I heard you about it. Yeah, really? But how did it get so close? And yeah. is it exactly right? Okay, fine. Um... But nonetheless, what we, we find out is that there's no overlap. Literally zero overlap. That there are the people that were there, and then the people, and then they were not counted. So let's look at Rashi. There's a very interesting Rashi on the Eile Lohayaish. Okay, says Rashi. But Eile, these people were not counted. Samach Dalid. Aval, Rashi is Samach Dalid. Aval al Hanashim, Log Zirag Zerad Hamaraglim. But yeah, that's only the men, because only the men were counted. But the women were not. Why? The feed is a very, this is going to be, hopefully you're going to come out of this year feeling really good. The women were not, were not decreed to die because, because of the Meraglim. The feed shahen hayu mechabavot et ha'aretz. Because women loved the land of Israel. Well said. Ha'anashim omrim nitna rosh v'nashuva mitzrayma. The men say, let's hightail it back to Egypt. Ha'anashim omrot t'nalanu achuzah. And the women say, no, no, no. We want a part of Eretz Yisrael. We want that house now. What? Bad <laughs> 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 enough, I think. Lekach. <laughs> 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 They're not even allowed to inherit land, right? What, well, women? Well, we We're going to find out. <laughs> We're going to find out. Lekach nismecha parshat benot slavchad lekan. And for this reason, the, st- the story, the parsha of the daughters of slavchad was connected to here. Okay. So we're going to see, Rashi says, why, why are we reading, why are we learning the parsha of the daughters of Slavchad right here in this, in, this, in this part? Because the men didn't make it, all the men died out. So you can imagine, by the way, the amazing disparity of population. You had 600,000 men, but how many women were there? Corresponding to the men. Right, it explains the Shemach crisis. So you know what I'm saying? There were double the women than there are of the men. Which makes it even more strange why the population hasn't increased. Because well, they should have been more wives. They could have just, you didn't have a Shemach crisis back then. You could just marry another wife. Yeah. Which they did. Which they did. But they obviously didn't have very many children. Mm, you mean, oh, you mean to replace them. Why didn't they have more children? Okay, accountant, go for it. Years of genocide, people killing us. No, 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 she's saying in the desert. Why weren't there more, why didn't they double over? There are more women available. Yeah, but who wants to give birth in the desert? They did. They did. <laughs> <laughs> you can't share that. They gave birth in the fields of Mitzrayim. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would be fair. They're that so wonderful in the field, right? It was a lovely experience. Right <laughs> <laughs> I'm not signing up. Oh, wait, wait, what you're saying was better in Mitzrayim than it was in the Midbar. Actually, Midbar. there was nothing. It was You probably gave birth and there was no dirt or anything, right? Because they didn't have to. A lot of sand, I don't know. Didn't have to bark in Mitzrayim. The Midrash says, the Rabbanans say, interestingly, it's very clear that the Bnei Israel did not do Brit Milah in the desert. 
during those 40 years. Why? The Gemara says there was something called this Ruach Tzifonit, or Ruach, I don't remember, Dromit. There was some kind of wind that they felt it was like probably the hot desert wind was unhealthy for babies and if they did a brit milah it would be unhealthy that's why it's not uh, drash it's, isn't it shot in the Torah it's shot in the Navi that when they go in they all do brit milah it's pretty much shot yeah but they criticized for not doing it they are criticized for not doing it so one can imagine the child rearing wasn't necessarily that easy in the desert they how do they get exact numbers? I don't really know. I don't know. Maybe there were a lot of girls, which they we didn't count. Maybe like every family had like eight girls, you know what I'm saying, and two boys. Yeah. <laughs> you can't rationalize doing something that's negative halacha. You know, like you can't say, well, even today, like, you know, you never know what kind of infections they get in the hospital. Right. So it's not healthy. Like you could always come up with an excuse as to why. Not doing Right. Maybe that's the lesson is that, you know, they had a reason, but it wasn't. You know, no, but it was, if it's truly, if it truly was the cross nefesh according to halacha, then you would be instructed not to do it. Like the same way we don't do a break. They were instructed not to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had a direct plan. There was no instruction. Well, it's a, it's a wonder what, like, you wonder why Moshe allowed them not to do Brit Milah. He should have come out and said, what's going on? All right, but that's not our topic. Samach. He did. Well, he, and he also delayed his own Milah. Interesting. Samach. Ki amar Hashem lahem mot yamutu bamidbar. Because our God said to them, you will die in the desert. Velonatar mehem ish. No one was left other than Kaleb bin Yifuneh and Yahshua bin Nun. Now we come to our story. Chavzayim. It's interesting they don't list Moshe in that list. Well, he's going to die. But he's alive now. At the time of his counting, it would be inappropriate. Oh. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Okay, let's just translate it, and then I'll let you ask me a number of good questions. The daughters of Slavchad, Vatikravna, approached, came close. The daughters of, the da- the daughters of Slavchad, the son of Chefer, the son of Gila, the son of Machir, the son of Menashe, to the family of Menashe ben Yosef. And these are their names. Machla, Noah, Chagla, Umilka, Vitirza. Just so you know, I've always wondered why some names take off and some don't. Yeah. <laughs> Noah is a relatively well-known name. Yeah. Tirza, I have a cousin named Tirza. Milka, it's always Malka, not Milka. But how come, what happened to Chagla and Machla? Machla, you never, Machla, you never get, right. Uh-huh. Machla, it's not Machala. Right, but because of the mistakes that can happen. Chagla? I don't know what it means, Chagla, but it sounds nice. Milka never never really got any popularity. Okay, now look at the Pasuk and tell me there's a couple of interesting there's one obvious question that should bother you when you read the Pasuk. Give you a minute to to look at it and see if you can figure it out. So many grandparents. Yeah. Okay. Why is it saying Menashe? Excellent. First of all, you notice that in the list their lineage. Their lineage is significant, I would say, because they're coming to to claim land. So anytime you come to claim land, who are you? Where do you come from? They all had to declare their lineage. But Yael is absolutely correct. Notice that it says, okay, Ben Gilad, Ben Machir, Ben Menashe. And then what does it say? Well, what do you think? In case you don't know what right, Menashe was right, talking about. You know, so why in the world would it say Mishpachot Menashe Ben Yosef if we just learned that it was Menashe? Okay. Right. That's the main. That's the main fundamental question. So obviously, who's going to ask that question? 
Rashi. Well, everyone, right? But they're all pretty much to follow on Rashi in this case. Says Rashi. Mishpachot Menashe ben Yosef. Lama ne'emar? Rashi actually tells you the, the question. He doesn't always do that, but here he does. Why do we need to know that their family is Menashe? We already know. Rather tell you, Yosef chavav et ha'aretz. Again, the same theme. Yosef loved the land of Eretz Yisrael. Remember, he died. He said, I don't want to be buried in this place. You shall take my bones and bury me in Eretz Yisrael. And his daughters, his great, 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 great granddaughters, also loved the land. Shneemar, as it says, "Tnalanu achuza." Okay, give us an inheritance. Okay, we want an inheritance. Give us an achuza. So, therefore, to tell you, why does he attribute all the way back to Yosef? Just like Yosef loved Eretz Yisrael, these women also they had a great love for Eretz Yisrael, connected to connected also, Yosef. But would you be sure that when it's a Ben Menashe, that it would be a Menashe of Yosef? Like, if you were going all the way back, because it's only four generations. I mean, it's not that. Zachar ben Chaver ben Gilad ben Machir. I mean, you, you're probably in the lineage. Machir is a, appears as a son of Manasseh. Oh, okay. Does he? You don't know. Probably, I would assume so. But then, what? but it's like a very nice message. You know what I'm saying? That it's, uh, you know, that it, there's this beautiful idea that Yosef loved the land and they loved the land. So, by the way, it's the second notice of the, that women love the land, and that these women especially yeah, loved Eretz Yisrael. Now, yeah, Machir appears. Like Gilad also appears. Okay. So we know, she's saying we know who they are. It's not really a mystery who they are. Then why does it say the Mishpachot Menashe Ben Yosef? I don't know. Let's read the rest of Rashi. Ulalam Dacha to teach you. Shayu Kulam Sadikim. That they were all righteous. Shkomishama Asabu Maseabu Kab Stumim. As anyone whose actions and the actions of their parents are stumim, are hidden, and one of them is relegated to for praise. So we know it's, they're all righteous. And maybe mention the family to tell you that the family was also righteous. And we're going to get to that in a, in a, in a minute. We're going to come back to that in a second. Okay, to see the connection between what happened before and what happened now. Let's read on a little bit. Vata'amodna lifnei Moshe. And they stood before Moshe and before Elazar and before the Nisiim and the entire Eidah, the entire community, in the entrance of O Moed, saying. That Pasuk, just try to, try to imagine that Pasuk uh, in our minds. Okay? What did they do? Very public. What? Very public. Very public. And where are they standing? In front of the Ohel Moed. And who's there? Moshe. Moshe. Everyone. The Kohen Gadol. The Nisiyim, And everybody else. Okay, now you have to sort of take yourself back. and About as public as you can get. Right. Okay. Now, what if, let's say, Tammy, you had a, I don't know, claim for something about your Chazon house. Okay? And in order to make this claim, you had to not only stand up in front of, you had to go to uh, Eli Esquizito, right? but you had to stand in front of Eli, and Raphael was there, okay? Plus the entire, whatever you want to say, you know, Vadat, Moatza, right? And also, I don't know, a select representative of the entire community. How would you feel about getting up and making your claim against Chazon? 
nervous. Right. Would you do it? I would do it. You would do it. Good. Let's say though that instead of there, instead of you know the Mu'azzah, you'd have to go in front of the Knesset, right? In Yerushalayim, in front of the Rosh Memshala, plus the Rav Rabbanim Harashim of of you know or Medina Israel. You know, plus I would I say would the, the cabinet. What? I would think twice. Well, you're right. You really believe in what you you have yeah, to be passionate about it. Right. You can imagine what I'm saying is that just the picture that the Torah portrays. There's actually a machlok yet about this because the, the Rashi in the Midrash quotes a discussion in the Gemara and says that it's a little unusual. They would come before Moshe and then Aaron and then Nisim. The Midrash says very interestingly, uh, the father the Midrash says it's in a, it's actually in a different order. Let me see if I can find it. Okay. Um, here. It's a machloket actually in the Gemara in Babavatra. The Gemara says, according to one opinion, first, is it possible they went to Moshe and also Elazar? says, first they went to the Nisi, first they went to the Adad, they went to the judges. And the judges like didn't know what to do, so anytime you don't know what to do, what do you do? You kick it up, right? Then they went to the Nisim. And then they went to Elazar, and Elazar said, I don't know what to do, and then we went to Moshe, and we'll see you in a little bit. What? Yeah, but that was the job. Moshe's job was to be the Supreme Court. So it's very nice, very beautiful. Okay, that's one opinion. He says the following, Now they were all sitting in Beit HaMikdash. Okay, Beit HaMikdash. And these four daughters of Slavchad got up and they... They asked in front of everybody. You can imagine. I'm just saying, you can imagine the social pressure that faced the daughters of Slavka. Because you're thinking, you were raised at the time. You're a professional. You're a you're a lawyer. You're you're used to standing up in front of people. And even you would think twice about getting up at the Knesset and asking and making your claim against Chazon for whatever thing you sure you should supposed to have. Met tile. For your met tile, right? You understand what I'm saying? So, I mean, this is where matters of great importance. So imagine the, the intimidation that these women faced because, you know, women did not get up and, and speak publicly. They did not get up and make claims. And even more so, they weren't sure what the answer was going to be. No, it's so easy. It's like the first time in history, because, right? We've never heard of a woman do anything. Like make a claim, make a lot, make a legal claim. Is there anything public before now in Tanakh and the women making legal claims? No, you're right. Nothing like this. About cla- and by the way, anything, like, I mean, they've huh? done good things, but they never stood up and made a statement about. Correct. I would agree. And uh, and so it, you, just the picture that the Torah describes for us about the thing that they have to overcome. Say, so, okay, we want to make a claim. You know, it's almost, okay, well, who do we make a claim from? Oh, Moshe. Yeah, and Elazar. And everybody. In front of the whole community. You know, uh, uh, well, we didn't, we didn't want to do that. No, 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 they did it. They all stood up, and they all got up, and they all made their claim, which is a very, I think, impressive thing. We'll put it that way. Would you say that's feminist of them? I don't know that's feminist. Isn't that interesting how feminism is such a negative word? <coughs> what? What would you say? That has to be feminist because they 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 at some point they're standing up for their women's rights. The question is to say just standing up for their rights for stuff. They are the children of this man. And right. Well, they, they were entitled. They, they wouldn't come into play. They no, right. They should be entitled. 
That's their claim. Not by virtue of the fact that they're women. No, not necessarily, because by virtue of being children, if they were if they were sons, they would have gotten it. The whole point is that they have to make this claim because they're women. I guess why why I'm it's only I'm, negative I'm, because of our perception of them, the way it's being portrayed today. Correct. It, Meaning, what they did and their actions were purely righteous, but because of the movement and the actions that have been taken by other people today, there's a negative outlook on it. Oh, here's where we get into sticky, this is where I was leading to, okay? Why is there a negative connotation if women are genuinely trying to claim that which they think is rightly coming to them? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, meaning anyone who's a feminist. A, well, I want to talk about feminism. I want to talk about feminism, actually, only within the Orthodox community, only within the realm of Orthodoxy. This, this, this is what interests me. I'm not interested in you know abortion rights or whatever. I'm much more interested in in what we would call modern day feminism. And I'll, and I'll I'll take it back and I'll give you my own personal interesting perspective. I was I often tremp students to and from Orot. And uh, the student who trips with me, she trips often, we have interesting discussions. So she was asking me about why, uh, why there's no, not going to be any foreign students in, in Orot next year. Why, why we were not able to uh, re- recreate the program. And I said there were a number of interesting factors. One of the interesting phenomena and factors that we, I found, that we found, we discovered when we went to America is that very often Orot is a Zionist, very Zioni school. Who's an Orot? You know Orot alumna? Okay, Arut is a very Tzioni school, very Tzioni. Okay, and it appeals to people who are more Tzioni. But when you go to the United States, the communities that are more Tzioni, that are, have this, are what? Well, that, that was an issue also. But they're also what we would call more modern Orthodox, or whatever that means, more modern Orthodox. And therefore, the people that are also, the girls that are looking for a school that are more modern Orthodox, are also looking for different kinds of learning than the kinds of learning that Arut uh, that Arot offers at the kind of place that Arot is. Arot is very firmly in the, like, what we call the shitav of Cook, the, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a word, I don't know if it's a negative word in, in Israel, they call it dosit. You know what the word dosit means? So dosit can sometimes be negative, dosit is a, can be more like Haredi, but dosit can also be positive that it's, you know, very from. That's a, that would be the, what? It's usually negative. It's usually negative, right? But if Ezra says it, Especially so saying the word dosi. People who are really from who would respect that don't say it. <laughs> right, they don't Use say it. Use the slang negatively. Slang negatively, dosi, like whatever. Anyway, so Orot uh, is very much in that shita that yes, women sh- should learn, they should know Torah, but within a certain parameter. You know what I'm saying? That there's in Shirim. Yes. Mina just said today, I'm supposed to, I'm giving a class next year in Orot. What should it be? And she said, oh, why don't you teach Gemara? Oh no, not in a row. That would never go. Can I just intervene here? When yeah. we were studying at a row, we decided, you know, that there was a big thing that all the girls were learning Gemara and Yerushalayim, and we were kind of stuck out in a row. And, and, and we went and we said, you know what? We want also want Gemara. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> we got it, boy. You <laughs> got it from, what do you mean? Four hours of Gemara, and we regret. <laughs> We hated their class. <laughs> they gave it to us, and they gave it to us good things. They said, if you're going to learn Gemara, you're going to learn Ojibwe. In Gemara, ask for it. Right. <laughs> good. Okay. So, what? There you go. Uh, no, I knew I was going to teach it, but it didn't. The whole point is like, that, so the girls nowadays, the more, how should we say, these girls, and, and a lot of the Israel advisors, when they came, they said, no, they're looking at schools like Nishmat or Migdal Oz that are, you know, 
But that are much more um, uh, in the model of classic men's yeshivot where girls learn a bait midrash they have chavruta they're expected to, to study and shtag and, uh, as it were and a road is not like that and I asked the student I said do you think interestingly do you think that this is a fad in Israeli society or do you think that, that it's going to move in that direction and, you know because you notice I don't know if you noticed here, all the women here, that Israel is about 20 years behind America when it comes to, I would say, women in the, in, in the structure of the community. And the only thing you need to know about that is if you look at the Mechitza and our show. Uh, you know, the way it was built, uh, it was sort of like women are an afterthought, women don't go to shul. It's just different. It's just fundamentally different. You know, the, 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 the roles that women have, just the idea of having a woman on our vad in our shul was like considered, I don't know, it's going to be okay. And it, it, you know what I'm saying? It was an issue. Whereas in my shul in America, there were women who were treasurer. I mean, it was like the issue was could a woman be president or not? Well, you know. but don't you think that Israel led uh, the charge with women's learning, higher, higher women's learning? Before America, who were the people? Who were the people that? Who were the people that motivated this change? But who, right? Who's the head of Mishmat? Good. She's from. Good. And and who? Who's the head of Migdal? Who's the head of Migdal Oz? Migdal Oz. Right. What's I don't know what her her name is, but Rabbi Arnlehusin's daughter. Oh. Right. Uh, what's I don't remember her first name. You know what I'm saying? So clearly, without this push from. Mm-hmm. America, like all these things, would not would be less of issues. And, and the way my students, those types of institutions didn't exist in America until after it became fashionable here. Hmm. Like Jerisha didn't didn't open up its doors until the after Nishmat opened. I think so that's because can... the American youth traditionally come here for their maybe maybe and, and... Okay. so this is an interesting thing. So I asked her, is it? Do you think this is going to be a passing fad? She said, "No. The whole midrashah movement is interestingly is a is a, is a sort of what she said is a very sort of feminist kind of model because this idea that you should spend a year learning the idea that a woman should spend a year learning that's not tachlis oriented that's not for a degree that's just lishma right, in and of itself is not a very uh, how should we say quote unquote from idea it's not at all but nonetheless like everybody does it now." Everybody from all spectrums, and you know, except the most most Haredi communities, everyone is doing it. So she thinks if that if that's the direction, then girls will say, "Well, if I'm learning the Shema, why should I only learn Tanakh the Shema or Mashava? Why should I learn, you know, the, the whole Shabbat?" It's a very interesting question. So then, the, then if you see these women, the daughters of Tzlachad, they didn't ask for anything wrong. They wanted what was coming to them. They wanted what they had the right to have. Right? Why do we see them as positive, but somehow women who, what we would consider pushing the envelope, and are asking for things they say only within the framework of halacha, they're not looking to challenge halacha. Right? Why is it that they are considered, in a sense, more negative, or challenging, or you know, anti-authoritarian, as it were? Now, if you would ask, I wonder, what were the people saying when Slavka's daughters appeared, and they said what they said? There's no historical record. But you wonder, what were the people saying, you know, in the Atzacha's daughter, that we want to plant a part of our father's nachala? Can you imagine what was the, like, the email chatter going on in the, you know, Menasha list serve on their Yahoo group? 
You don't want to think about it, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm holding back a little bit. Right. <laughs> Meaning, we only look at the daughters of Tzlavchad in the prism of what the Torah says about them. Right? What does the Torah say? Cain below Tzlavchad Dovrov. They are right. But, but there's always this push against, you know, to say, well, why do you want this? How come? You know, who are you to say? Well, how come you're not happy with your place? Etc., etc. When, you know, you could have said the same thing about the daughters of Slavchad. Sorry, men get nachala, women don't get nachala. If we start giving women, then they're going to want, you know, to, to, to till the field, and then they're going to want to fight in the army, and then the whole society breaks down. Makes sense, right? It's a good argument. But there's no reporting that they do want to do those things. I mean, they want to fight in the army. Right. They don't want. Correct. Other when they other than when they want the women to fight in the army. Right. Okay. Devorah. Right. Well, she doesn't want. They don't want her to fight. They wanted her. They to want lead. her to lead. Right. I mean, they, they just needed her emotional, spiritual leadership. No, but it's also interesting because there are a lot of halachot in the Torah that are presented simply as this is the situation. This is the halacha, and the Torah makes a point to tell you how this halacha came to be revealed. Uh huh. You know, it tells you the story and it describes it to Menot Tzalachad specifically, right. which is more than just, it's like a super positive. Correct. It could have just said, Moshe could have come out and just, just said, said, here's the halacha, it goes to the son. If he doesn't have any sons, it goes to the daughters. And right, daughters. this whole story. But this story didn't have to be written at all, but it is. You know, it was, and I think there are Gemara's So then wouldn't you revealed. say then that women are encouraged, that the story would encourage women to, how shall we say, depress, in a sense? To want more? Yeah. Okay, good. Just not in our family. Okay, I'm sorry. Um no Safat. Gimel. Let's take a pass Gimel. Avinu met Bamidbar. Our father died in Midbar. He was not in that Eda, that band of people that that grew that rose up in the in the Adat Karach. Why? Kibechet omit, he died from his sins. Ubanim Lohaila. He didn't have sons. No, what could you do? We only had daughters. Dalid, lama yigarashem avinu mitoch mishpachto ki en lo ben tenalanu achuza betoch achei avinu. Right? Why should our father's lo, uh, name be lost or yigara garua be negated because he had no sons? Give us his inheritance amongst our brothers. Now, it's, it's just interesting to note, from a real perspective, the Benot Slavchad are not asking for anything for themselves. That's what, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. They're not coming and saying, we want more, you know, for us. They're, they're, and I think it's important when you talk about feminism today also, in terms of agenda, of what is your agenda. Okay. You know, is your agenda to be viewed as equal? Or is your agenda something else? And here their agenda is... Why, why, why is being viewed as equal, Ben? Because we're not equal. We're different. Well, those are two different things. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, is it to be the same. same? So I meant if your goal is to be the same. Then right. That's, okay. But the uh, but here, like their their agenda is very clearly not self promotion. But it's not. But the result is the same. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But, but I think it matters less. Because if you're fighting for your children and not for yourself. Right. Then, then you've got the strength to go up and stand in front of the, the Prime Minister or whatever, because you're fighting for your children, you're not saying, but, but it, the result is the same. But I think it's an important distinction of motivation, because mm. in the, you know, cause then tone is different, and then what you ask for next is different. Okay, so you're saying that if your motivation is, is for the right reasons, the shame shamayim, and not, so what would make it the wrong reason? 
I want that to I want to be the same. Yeah. I want I to feel, feel that that yeah. Even that wouldn't be wrong. It's understandable. It's not the wise. Right, but maybe it's your yeah. That your you brothers need to are arguing that they both have equal rights or a reason. You don't say, oh, this brother, you know, how could this brother be fighting for his own rights? It would make oh, sense. I think it's different. Why? Why do I think it's different? Yeah. Okay. I'll let you think about, think about it. About it. Okay, very good. Okay, what's interesting, very, very interesting discussion, what did Salafcha do? Right, why did he die? Ah, very good. So there's a very interesting midrash, okay, that, that, uh, that appears here. Okay? Says the, says the midrash, this is a Gemara in Shabbos, the Gemara says, Tanarabanan, the rabbi said, Mekoshesh, Mechainu Omer, okay, etc., etc., so that Divrei Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Akiva says if you recall there was a guy who collected sticks on Shabbat right and this guy this, this Mekoshesh was never identified so Rabbi Akiva says he was Tzlachad Amarla Rabbi Huda ben Betera Rabbi Huda ben Betera says Akiva ben kach u ben kach atid atal hitein one way or the other you're going to have to answer for what you just did why im kidvarecha if you are right the Torah did not reveal his identity. And you did. So if you're right, you're wrong. And if you're wrong, then Then what are you doing? You're saying this person who was a tzaddik it was really the was really not a tzaddik. It's not such a tzaddik they're saying he died because of his sins. So no, no, so what did he die for? So, but he didn't die, he didn't die. Yeah, as a Why did he die? Mivaya apilu hava. He was one of the ma'apilim. What are the ma'apilim? Remember, when the maraglim happened, the, then half of the people went up and they said, we're going to fight. And Moshe said, don't do it. Shabbat's not with you. And they went anyway and they got destroyed. They got decimated. Okay? So the real interesting question is a very interesting discussion. Rabbi Hiva knew what Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera said. Why is he think it was important for him to say that Slavchad was the Mekoshesh and not from the Ma'apilim? Does Ma'apilim have to do with trying to get a part of Eretz Yisrael when they weren't entitled to it? Ah, that, yeah. I th- right. I think that's true. I think there are, you can categorize... Um, I, I, I'm, I'm making this up. I'm conjecturing. There are different types of sins. I mean, in the, in the broader spectrum, you could say that there are sins of, of a religious nature and sins what we would consider of a national identifying nature. Okay, the Chedem Araglim wasn't a sin that, you know, oh, I, I eat trade. Right? The Chedem Araglim was like a, a sin of, a sin towards, not only towards Hashem, but towards Bnei Israel, towards the national identity of the Jewish people. Right? The Mapilim were, in a very real way, the same thing. Right? The Mapilim said, we don't need Hashem to get Eretz Israel. We're going to fight, even though Moshe told us not to, and they died that way. I think Rabbi Akiva would prefer to say that Slavka died because he was Mechalel Shabbat, as opposed to saying that he died because he was one of the Mapilim. So you're saying it's a lesser evil? I think so. It's a very interesting question you'd ask today. The reason I bring this up is you'd ask that question today. Like, what's a greater evil? Someone who sins against the Jewish people, or someone who sins and violates Shabbat? You know what I'm saying? Right. We would say, I hate those questions. No, go to the Haredim and Yerushalayim and ask them the same question. Correct. <laughs> but, but also then you, you go... Correct. To I, that's exactly right. So what would Rabbi Akiva say? 
in my reading of this Midrash. He rather be Mechalel Shabbat than desecrate the Jewish people and endanger the Jewish people. And uh, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, unfortunately, or for whatever reason, since we've been in Galut for so long, we've lost a sense of value of understanding the true value of what the Jewish people are all about. So the only value we've ever really maintained with any real fervor is our ritual value. And this is something that, that in order to rebuild the Jewish people, we're going to have to fix. It's not just about, you know, you know does this have the proper hesher, which of course it's supposed to. But it's also about who are we as a people? What is, it, what, is our, what is our identity as a people? Are we promoting the word of God amongst the nations of the world or are we not? Are we you know, benefiting Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael? Are we growing the nation as a whole or are we not? And if we're not, <coughs> now that might be worse than Chilul Shabbat. Maybe. Quite a regular keyword. But then again, it takes me back to the to the Nutzlochad that are going. I'm still there with you, taking them in front of the promised land. Yeah. But they're, they're also coming through. With, but they don't have such a great yichus. Like their father died because he, like they even brave. Oh. They even brave because they they come. Their father died. Yeah. Their father died in such a public way, according public, to that. Public. Right. Everybody knows who he is, and this guy did that, and he shouldn't get any land anyway. Right, very good. It, they still got What's that? In spite of it, they still In spite of it, they still went up. Good. Okay. What did Moshe do? Hey, Vayakrev Moshe Mishpatan Lifnei Hashem. Moshe brought their Mishpat, their judgment, before Hashem. Okay, what's interesting about this pasuk that you notice? You should notice it right away. The big nun. Does everybody see the big nun in Mishpatan? Yeah. Their judgment? And why is there a big nun? I think it's emphasizing the feminine. Feminine, emphasizing the feminine. I don't know, I wasn't going to say that, but that's what you think? Yeah. It's a lot of people. Wow. Okay. It's it's lot, and if you look in the Torah itself, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it's it's written. There's certain places in the Torah where there are like dots, and some places where there's. So this is one of the places in the Torah where it's written bigger, it's written larger. That it's emphasizing them. Now we don't always know exactly why things are written different in the Torah the way they are, but okay, just notice that. So what's also interesting that the midrash, all the mafarshim pick up on, they all pick up on the fact. Why didn't Moshe just answer? I don't know. Ah, one possibility he didn't know. But he's taken the mishpatan, it says it's taken the judgment mm-hmm. to Hashem, so it's already been prejudged. No, 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 judgment means their, their mishpat, their issue, their case, yes. Maybe I'm looking into it too much, but it says their cause and mm-hmm. not their father's cause. Okay, right, but and, well, that emphasizes the big nun, they emphasize on the fact that it is a feminist movement, right. right? And the Torah is justifying the feminist movement. I just want to point out, I think it's important to and point out it, like, that in the climate in which we live, anything that women want right, is perceived immediately as negative until it's perceived as positive. That's just the way it is. And what I'm trying to show is it's not always fair. That, that women sometimes, the things that they want are correct. And if they come from the right place... Right, that they have a point. And, you know, I have good friends who are more, quote-unquote, liberal than I am, and they really believe in these causes. They very much believe in these things for the, for the right reasons. And, uh, and, and, you know, even though they, they would do things that, that I'm, I'm not comfortable with from a halakhic point of view, I think they have a point that sometimes when people bring issues and push the envelope, 
then later on they're able to sort of to to allow their desire to become enveloped in the halakhic framework. I mean, let's, just a great example we were discussing. If a hundred years ago somebody would have said, I think every girl should spend a year studying only Torah. Right? And the Jewish people. What? She did not. That was not what she said. Sarah Schneer said, these women are going to college, they're going to advanced degrees, they should at least have some knowledge of Torah, basic learning. Right? That in itself was a departure. But if you imagine, I think every that, that was a, that was a departure perceived, of itself. Perceived as, uh, that was, yes. I but that was, it wasn't really, that wasn't feminist. Wasn't, that was more, I mean, assimilation there. The, the ravages of assimilation were terrible. It wasn't accepted by, it was so not at all. radical that it wasn't accepted by everybody across the board. No that way. It was correct and we should, even though she came from a good source and had, had the proof of the generation. It was, absolute, it was absolutely not considered mainstream and many people did not send their daughters to learn for many years many generations you know it only became really accepted later on in America when there was that's the idea of universal education the girls should also have education as well it was never universally accepted in Europe I don't think and so now say today well most girls should go spend a year learning Torah I wonder I don't think Israeli girls do it do they? Especially no, no, That's Haredi not girls. Doing in school, oh, doing sure no, but they go. But but if a Haredi girl is going to a trade to learn a trade, yeah. she's learning a job. She's learning in a mechlala where she is required to take Judaic studies classes. No, no not Haredi ones. Yes. The Haredi ones. Yeah, they go to Ofakim or yeah. And the Judaic classes there. Yeah. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. That's interesting. But they don't spend a year. The idea of taking a year off to learn is not... Yeah, maybe they yeah, can't go back. No, but it's not taking a year off to learn. No. That's a very good Not anymore. Now because, they have them because these midrashot are extremely popular in Israel. Rich. Very popular. But not everybody does it because you have this pressure of time. If you did a year of Sherut and you want to get married, or two years especially... You know, they, they are combining it now. Sure, they like combine everything. Like he and the girls are Right, they're, they're learning in the... Right, they're, right. they're combining, they can do whatever they want. But this idea of learning, if you would say this a hundred years ago, everybody would have said you're crazy. Rav <coughs> Cook would not have been comfortable with it. Because that wasn't, the, that wasn't the, the, the... you know. But, but because somebody pushed the envelope, I think we're all better off for it. You know, who here would say that you're not better off because you spent a year learning, you know, learning Gemara, I don't, I mean, <laughs> learning Torah, we're all, you know, and I think it's an incredible thing. So that, what happens is people stand up in front of the community and they push, but they're perceived negatively. And they're, I don't know, you know we don't know what, what's said about them. But if they're Lishma and their judgment is correct, then they have this ability to really affect the broader community over time. It doesn't happen right away. It really happens over time. Yeah. Um, on another subject, when did this uh, this whole thing develop where things changed that Hashem gave the Torah to us to decide things and it's not for Hashem to make the changes and to go to, you know... Right. When the Torah was closed after Moshe died. So then it was... It's it. After that, it was given into the hands of Yeshua, the Chachamim. That's the Rashi. Wasn't the concept always there that was given to us to do with not to go to Hashem? Once it was given, once it was given. So you're saying, why did Moshe go to Hashem? Interesting question. So because it was still in the period when before the Torah was closed or completed. Now, so I asked the question, why did Moshe not himself just answer the question? So there are two possibilities: either he didn't know the answer, which would make sense to turn to Hashem, or he did know the answer and he turned to Hashem as well. The Midrash presents four answers. Right? And both of them, and it takes both texts. One says that Moshe didn't know the answer. Well, if Moshe didn't know the answer, why didn't he know the answer? 
the Midrash says the following. Why? Moshe later on says, in Tavarim says, Hadavar And the story with Yitro, right, Moshe said, look, you know, first ask the lower courts, then the medium courts, and if you have something really hard, ask me. So the Midrash says, that was too much um, hardiness. That was an inappropriate way of speaking. So Hashem said, oh, they'll ask you? Fine, they'll ask you and you won't know the answer. And so Moshe, the halacha was hidden from him in order to sort of teach him a lesson. Ne'enash Moshe. Moshe was punished in this case that he, he didn't know the answer. That's one, in, that's one interpretation. Another interpretation is totally opposite. Moshe did know the answer, but the Midrash says, remember I said, well, first they went to the lower courts and they kicked it up, and then they went to the next courts and they kicked it up, and then they went to, to, ah, to Elazar, and they, they go, everyone along the line. So Moshe looked along and he says, everybody was giving kavod to somebody above them. No, it's, 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 it's an Israeli method. It's called the Shittat HaTashah. No, but that's passing the buck. That's passing the buck. That means they tie people out until they stop asking and then you don't have to... <laughs> <laughs> you try to build a house in Israel, they do that too. They, they, they drain you and drain you until they, they say, they'll give up and then don't worry, they'll forget. They'll just... <laughs> Keep it up, don't forget. Okay, okay so Moshe said, listen to the Midrash says, Ra'a Moshe, kol achad v'achad kibed a mishagadom menu. Moshe said, everybody giving honor. Amar Moshe, ime mor lehem et adin. If I tell them the din, et tovet abdullah, then I'll take the greatness for myself. I don't need that greatness. I want to give it to Hashem. So it's again this idea of not passing the buck, but in a positive way. So the one Midrash says that he didn't know the answer. Another midrash says he did know the answer, but he did it in order to give them, in order to give Hashem credit. Okay. Another one says, right? Yodea, he knew the answer, but he didn't know whether that you know they should take double portion from the father's bechorah or not. He didn't know everything. He knew the whole thing. And another midrash says, right? Moshe said, "Amar Moshe." This is a very interesting thing. Right? Everyone will learn from me. Shetaliti hadavar berav hagadol that no one, no matter how great they are, should ever be afraid to ask a question. Right? And this, I think, is a sign of greatness, that a person is not afraid to say, I don't know the answer. You can imagine, Moshe's there, and the daughters are there, and they ask Moshe, and they're like, oh. what does Moshe say? And what Moshe says is, I don't know. I'll be right back. I don't know. Right, yeah. Also, it's, it, for the feminist issue, he got the answer from above. They can't come and say, "This the reason she didn't go to Eretz Israel is because he gave her." <laughs> 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 I'm not going there. I don't know. Okay, but it's just a very interesting uh, notion, I think. And uh, I always used to say that uh, you know that that there's a there's a um, when I was much younger, I had a doctor a very young doctor, an internist, who always used to like examine me and say, well, I'll be right back. And I knew he was going to like look it up or like, you know, call his rabbi or something. I It always reassured me because there's nothing worse than a doctor who does, who's afraid to consult with someone else. And there's nothing worse than a rab who's, who knows the answer right away. You, you know what I'm saying? Who's not afraid to say, you know, I'm going to call you back. Because sometimes, you know, you know the answer right away. But sometimes you say, I really want to check again. I want to look it up. And and uh, and as soon as your hubris comes before the, the correct answer, then you're in trouble. And I think so. There's such beautiful midrashim that come out of this story of Moshe presenting the daughters of Zalchad. So let's just read on and finish the story. They're right. Right. They're right. They're correct. They get the credit. They know. 
and uh, they should get the inheritance of their fathers, etc., etc., etc. So this, it, it all comes out so nicely in the end. And, uh, and um, uh, I wanted to um, relate back, there's a very, very beautiful uh, Kliakar who talks about the connection between the last part, the last section that we started with about the Nachalot, and also the, the, this section, the Daughters of Tzlach Chad. Okay? So he says the following, how come the men, and then we're going to compliment the women, there's a women's class, so we'll give the women uh, a good feeling. He says, how come the, the men died out in the desert? And the women did not. Why did the men not like Eretz Yisrael? And the women so badly wanted Eretz Yisrael. You just know, I was thinking about this. Eretz Yisrael appears in the context of women in very unusual places. Right? You know, where else does Eretz Yisrael appear in Judaism, in the, you don't know, in the context of, of halakha? Oh, that if, I mean, if a woman wants Correct. to live in Eretz Yisrael and her husband doesn't, then he... Is that what you're talking yes, about? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. He's a boy. Correct. The halacha says, it's brought down in the Gemara, and it's brought down in the halacha in Yeridea. Let's say, for example, a woman wants to make aliyah, and a husband doesn't want to make aliyah. The woman can demand a divorce, and she's mekabel ketubata. Right? Which is a very, very great claim. That she is considered the righteous one in the relationship, that she gets the ketubah. I don't know if she'd want to get divorced, but the idea is that clearly halacha is saying she's right. And on the other hand, let's say he, they're living in Israel and he wants to leave and she doesn't want to leave. She can force him to, to, to stay. And that the, it's very interesting that these, these halachot appear, Eretz Yisrael appears in the context of a relationship between husband and wife. What about the other way around? He can also, he can divorce her if she doesn't want to and, be not, and not give her the ketubah. I'm more interested, meaning let's say he wants to make aliyah and she doesn't. He could say, okay, we're getting divorced, and he doesn't have to pay her the ketubah. If the reason she doesn't... In other words, he's right. In other words, he's right. Whoever wants to live in... But what's interesting is that this issue of Eretz Yisrael, of living in Eretz Yisrael, is considered halachically a bone of contention between husband and wife, and an issue about which there was a matter of debate, and the halacha takes a claim. And living in Israel is halachically correct. And one gets a sense, always, that there was this kind of tension between men and women about living in Israel or not. Anybody familiar with such a phenomenon? You know, like, and always it's, it, it's, it's always, and I'll say it, it's the men saying, how are we going to do it? We're never going to be able to do it. It doesn't make any sense. The numbers don't add up. Almost always. And the women saying, we'll work it out. We'll work it out. It'll be okay. Like, there's this, you know. What? Well, you came before. Your husband's already here. Yeah, but now, like... Oh, you're the one. You're the practical one. I don't want to go anywhere with me, so... Okay. Oh, yeah, you're the number person. Okay, says the Kliakar, he says, there were two reasons, okay, why women loved Eretz Yisrael and the men didn't. One, Eretz Yisrael likes people who are Sanua. Who, are, who have appropriateness and modesty. And the women liked modesty, and the men did not. But the men were prutsin ba'arayot. They said, you know, the, the men asked, well, what is it about that land? And Moshe said, well, the land will spit you out and vomit you out if you don't act appropriately. And the men said, uh, maybe that's not for us. And the women said, that's for us. You know, we want that. Right? That's exactly what we want. That's one. And he said, the second reason he says, in Eretz Yisrael, this is a Kliakar. 
In Eretz Yisrael, the produce is grown not by the as much by the by the labor. It's also the labor, but Hashem plays a role. Meaning, there's less watering of the land and more rain. It depends on a partnership. And since Hashem plays a role in the growing of the produce, therefore God has a right to demand some of the money. And what does Hashem say in His part? What does He want you to do with it? He wants you to give it to the Kohanim, the Leviim. The men didn't like that so much. The men, how's it going to work out? How are we going to pay for it? Okay? So therefore, it says, therefore the Kliyakar says the following. He says the reason he didn't like it because Men don't like giving tzedakah. Oh, it's so hard. I worked so hard for it. Whereas the women did. Women loved giving tzedakah. So the mitzvah of chala is the woman's mitzvah, and it's one of the mitzvot tzuliyot ba'aretz, trumot and masrot. They 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 love giving it out. This is what the rabbi said. In the merit of the righteous women of that generation, they were they, that's why they were they were brought out of Egypt. He says, what's the proof? Is why does it say that the daughters of Tzlachai were the Mishpachat Menashe ben Yosef? Why does it say specifically that it was Yosef's family? It says because Yosef had two attributes. One, Yosef was Sanua. Even when confronted the, the most difficult confrontation with the daughter of Pot- with the wife of Potiphar, Yosef came out and did the right thing. He was Sanua. And two, when Yosef's brothers came down to Egypt, what did he do? He fed them. He sustained them. He supported them. That those attributes of tzedakah and sinyut, they were the attributes of the daughters of Tzlachad. That was what they loved about, that was why they were machavavot Ta'aretz. They loved Eretz Yisrael. And those are the two attributes, so if you want to understand the two attributes of Tzlachad, of Eretz Yisrael, it's the attribute of tzedakah, of, and tzedakah is of understanding that our, our, our sustenance comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and what he gives us, he gives us, he gives us what we need. And the second thing is of appropriateness that we spoke about. Actually, was it last week already? Yeah, we did. Of 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 of, of propriety and sniut and appropriateness. And these are attributes that women have that women appreciate about Eretz Israel. And it's one of the other reasons that that uh, the women of Bnei Israel love the land so much that they'll push themselves out in the open. They'll put themselves out on a limb in order to get what's coming to them. So were they feminists? I think in a way they were. But that's, why is that a bad thing? I mean, that's a great thing. They, they understood that their desire for Eretz Yisrael trumped their fear and allowed them to overcome their inhibitions and bring their mishpat tifnei Hashem. And for that, they're ultimately rewarded. They altered the landscape of the Jewish people. The daughters of Tzlachad are a model that that an example without which, without this story, right, a lot of the, how should we say this, a lot of the, the realities of the Jewish people and the societal norms, the accepted cultural norms that we have today, without this story might not be here. But because on the strength of their strength, right, the Bnei Israel is shaped the way it is today. And I think that's something that uh, should give all of you strength as you are mechavavot et women who love the land. All right, stop here. Thank you.